The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me, just a regular guy, talking about all the things I love, such as comics, movies, television, music, and books. So yeah, proceed at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host and my name is Steven. Yeah, I sang that for some reason. So today I'm going to talk about a issue of a comic that came out in January 1995 from DC Comics. This was a, well, this was DC's answer to Image Comics. If you weren't around at the time, a lot of the big named artists, Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld... Mark Silvestri, Jim Lee, they were all working for Marvel Comics and they were selling a lot of books for Marvel Comics. And they felt that they, well, they felt they should be compensated a little bit more because they were selling quite a bit more than anybody else. They were selling books because of their talent. Well, Marvel said, nah, you don't deserve more. And they said, all right, well, we'll go start our own publishing company. And they all went off and they formed Image Comics. Did I mention Eric Larson was one of them too? I don't quite remember. There was a but there was a few of them. Jim Valentino. So they formed Image Comics and then they just started selling a crap ton of books. Not only were they selling a lot of books, they were pulling in some talented folks to come help them. And other the other big name talents were going other places like Dark Horse and doing their own their own thing. And so Marvel and DC had to try to come up with something to bring readers back. And in their mind, this artwork that was being put out there by the founders of Image Comics, that was the way to go. Their ideas and their artwork, they had to do that too, but they didn't necessarily have the talent to get that done. But darn it, they tried. And this issue that I'm going to talk about today, Extreme Justice, issue number zero, this is a product of that generation. It was written by Dan Vado. Pencils by Mark Campos, inks by Ken Branch, colors by Lee Luffbridge, and letters by Kevin Cunningham. The issue is entitled With a Bang. So the story is not a lot to write home about. It's not a bad story. You've got this, I guess, splinter group of just of the Justice League. They don't explain at all in the book why they're not with the, the regular Justice League. You kind of get the sense that maybe there's more than one Justice League at this point, but they don't, they don't really come out and explain it. Maybe they do an issue number one, but this was not, from what I could tell, and I may be wrong because I'm just kind of jumping into this historically. I know that there was a time when DC put out a lot of zero issues to books that were already established, and I don't think this was the case. I feel like issue zero was the first issue to be released. And so that should be the issue that introduces you to what's going on, but they don't do a they don't do a really good job. Maybe they do an issue number 1, maybe their the thought process is they'll give you just enough to hook you so that you will then purchase issue number 1 and then you're going to get in on what's what's actually happening. But this is a team that consists of Captain Adam, he's leading them. You've got Maxima, 
You have Booster Gold, who for some reason is wearing armor, practically Iron Man armor. I mean, he's covered pretty much head to toe, except for the top of his head and the the area around his mouth. That was a big thing in the 90s was for characters to wear these masks that the top of their head was open. So their hair would come out of the top of their mask. And some even wore these weird face face masks that didn't actually cover their eyes or their nose or their mouth. It just kind of, I don't know, it was like picture a stocking cap or, or a balaclava, I guess they're called, with the entire face cut out and then the top of it cut off. So it just covers your the back of your head and wraps around your forehead and your neck. But as long as the hair was flowing free, that's really all that mattered. I think, uh, I feel like artists really wanted to draw hair back then. And that's kind of what he's got going on, except for it's a solid suit of armor. And the thing was that Booster Gold, he didn't have any superpowers. He came from the future. The suit that he was wearing, in essence, was a suit of armor. It was a futuristic suit of armor, but it was, it had so much future tech in it that it didn't have to be a big, bulky suit of plate mail armor. It was just this thin bodysuit with circuitry in it that had a force field and could shoot freaking laser beams and stuff out of it. So they don't really explain. Maybe he did. He jumped into the armor in a Justice League issue previous, but they, they give a little hint that at one point may, he may have died or almost died or went into a coma. I don't know. They don't really explain why he's in this now heavy suit of armor. You've also got Blue Beetle, and then you've got a character named Amazing Man. Now, nowhere in this issue did I catch them actually using this dude's superhero name. His name is William something or other, and they call him Will, I think, twice in the book, but they don't give you his superhero name at all. You get a hint that he has some kind of absorption powers because he gets hit by a laser or something, and he absorbs it, and then he shoots it back out. Otherwise, you don't, I I felt it quite odd that you didn't get his name at all in the book. I wouldn't even allow that. I would not even give them a pass if that was Superman, to tell you the truth. The first issue of a series, you have to be introduced to all the characters. You cannot just go into the first issue of a book and just assume that everybody knows who everybody is. Everybody else in the book, you heard their name, but not this guy for some reason. So what you've got here is you've, you you start out with this, uh, this little story about some general, or not general, uh, Colonel, Colonel West, who I guess has decided that the only, he's one of these, he's one of these 90s military guys that feels that the only way for peace to break out is to erupt the world into another world war. And he's doing that by, he's hijacked a nuclear warhead and he's launching it to Russia and nobody can stop him. The military cannot stop him at all. And it's because he has, as a rogue colonel, he has a bunch of freaking military, high-grade, high-weapon, high-tech robots. I guess he's the only one in the military who has access to these because the rest of the military, they don't, they don't try to stop him or they, they seem helpless against this guy, this one colonel, his might. The president is even at one point talking to him over the radio or over the phone. He's trying to get him to stop and the guy's like, Sit on it, president. I'm doing this. And so in comes Justice League. Now, they don't refer to themselves as extreme Justice League, but that's what they are. They're like the Justice League, but to the extreme, because that's the way it was in the 90s. It wasn't a good book unless it was to the extreme. 
And they come in to stop him. The guy manages to launch the missile. Captain Adam grabs it in the upper atmosphere. It explodes and it harms him in no way at all. And so then they, they mop up and then they're, they're leaving and they decide, well, if we're going to be this group, we need a place to stay. And Captain Adam takes them to this, what looks like an abandoned mine. It was a, uh, an abandoned military installation called Mount Thunder that hadn't been used in decades, but they arrive and they find it actually in very well put together order. Somebody has been, been, uh, somebody's been maintaining this base. And as they're there, a bunch of these freaking robots like the, like the Colonel West had, they all come at them, intruder alert, intruder alert. So they got to fight these guys. There's a shadowy figure watching them on a monitor. I don't know if they, they mention him by name at all in the book, but doing some research, I found out that it was Monarch. You have a guy named General Singe who's at the White House getting ready to meet with the president. And he gets a call from a woman named Martha who tells him that this superhero group is in Mount Thunder. And he's like, oh, no, we've got to do something. They can't find out what we've been doing. And so they send a bunch of peacekeeper robots after him. And that's how it ends. The uh, Actually, I don't know if the peacekeepers are robots or if they're people in suits. We only see them on a security monitor because after the Justice League has mopped up these robot guards, they see on the monitors that the peacekeepers are coming to get them. And that's how it ends. There's also an interlude, a small little story with Ronnie Raymond, who I believe was Firestorm. I don't know if he's Firestorm anymore at this point, but he's at the doctor and the doctor's telling him that he has cancer. I don't know how that ends up factoring into the book. The, so now the story itself was fairly basic. There's, there was nothing wrong with the story. And really, when it came to the art, the art wasn't horrible, but the art was really trying to capitalize on this freaking, it was like if Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee had a baby, that's, what, that's how this artist would draw. And uh, it was even to the point that every time they were, anytime they were fighting in the book, Blue Beetle was bouncing around like Spider-Man and he is athletic. He is an acrobat, but he was always in, in a very Spider-Man like, and not just Spider-Man like, but specifically Todd McFarlane Spider-Man like pose. And I think he's even in a pose like that on the front cover. You know, one of these leaping up in the air, kind of bent forward, arms, hands hanging down between his legs and his legs sticking out spread eagle. Not a very Blue beetle type thing to do, but very much a Todd McFarlane Spider-Man thing to do. And then there was this, I don't know if it was a creative decision made by the colorist or if maybe there was something wrong with the printing. I don't know, but there are a lot of panels where suddenly Captain Adam would no longer be silver, he would be gold. And then the Blue Beetle would no longer be blue, he'd be green. And his... The little globes over his eyes that are yellow would be purple. His skin would be purple. And again, I don't know if this was a creative choice to try to tell us that the lighting in this area was a little different, but I found it really, it really threw me out of the story. Every time suddenly the blue beetle would be green and Captain Adam would be gold. And it wasn't just one or two panels. It was at least 50% of the book. Captain Adam spent his time in, uh, uh, colored gold and the blue beetle spent his time colored green. I have to assume it was a creative choice because whatever the two shared a panel, if one was, if, if Captain Adam was gold, Blue Beetle was green. And then even Booster Gold was in one of the, on one of the pages when the coloring was really weird like this. And he was colored all weird. So I don't know if that was the colorist trying to set a mood 
Because it also happened when they were underground in Mount Thunder, but it didn't seem to be every single panel. I don't understand the point of it, to tell you the truth, because it didn't, all it did was confuse me. Why is, why is Blue Beetle green all of a sudden? Captain Adam would be cool gold, but why is he gold all of a sudden? You know, if there was an explosion or a fire going on next to him, I could get it. I can almost understand him being gold under the right lighting conditions, but the Blue Beetle to just suddenly be green with purple globes over his eyes and purple skin, it was, it was a, weird, a weird decision. And it was kind of a weird book. I don't think I'm going to continue with issue number one. This was just an experiment of mine, an experiment to see. I don't know. I just, I recently watched a, uh, uh, a YouTube video, the YouTube channel Comic Tropes. And it wasn't one of his, I don't think it was one of his newer videos. I think it was in his back catalog, but it was all about like the worst costume changes for superheroes in, in comic book history. And he talked about this specific era and he talked about Booster Gold in general having this, just wrote this freaking Iron Man-like armor suddenly. And to hear him explain it, there was really no explanation. He just suddenly had it. And so you have to assume that, this, that the reason he has it suddenly is just to be extreme, is to try to follow this trend. And it made no sense whatsoever. Now, again, the art wasn't bad. There were a number of panels that I thought the Blue Beetle looked really cool, and I thought Captain Adam looked pretty cool. I never thought Booster Gold looked cool because his armor looked stupid. But the art itself was, it was solid. It did what it was supposed to do. And what it was supposed to do was to look like Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane had a baby. And whereas in some areas of the book, that wasn't a great thing. In other areas, it kind of worked. Now you get this hint. There's also this hint in the book because Captain Adam makes some kind of reference to, uh, I think when they're going to Mount Thunder, he says something to the effect of, we need, a, we need a base of operations and to keep an eye on Wonder Woman and what her people are doing. And so looking that up, all I could find was that the members of Extreme Justice League were members of the Justice League, the, the regular Justice League, that I guess Wonder Woman was the head of, and they didn't enjoy the way things were going. They thought that they should take the fight to the problem in a more extreme way. And so they are, they split off. They're a splinter group of the Justice League. They're the Justice League, but just a bit more extreme because you, you have to be extreme, I guess. I don't know. I don't know that I could press upon this point much more. Basically, what I'm trying to say is if you want to have a good 90s extreme time with the book, go seek this series out. I'm sure you can get it in quarter bins. I'm fairly positive. I, 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 uh, I don't know that it sold that well. Matter of fact, I don't even know how many issues there were of the series before they, they canceled it, before they realized that this is not the way to go. I do want to do more episodes like this, though. So if you know of any books that among the nerd populace are considered the most horrible issues in comic book history, shoot me an email, stevenrls at gmail.com, and I'll give it a look-see. Maybe it'll be available for on Comixology Unlimited. This one I ended up paying for because I just, I had to give it a try. I, I feel like I was collecting books at this time because I do remember, I may even have a couple of these issues up in my collection, to tell you the truth, because I was eating a lot of this stuff up. But the whole Blue Beetle thing with him looking very much like a Todd McFarlane version of Spider-Man was very familiar, familiar, was very familiar to me. So I feel like I have, I don't remember reading this story, but I'm pretty sure I was reading books at the time. 
Anyway, that's my episode, Extreme Justice Zero. Have you read it? What did you think? Did I offend you? Are you a huge Extreme Justice fan? Do you feel like this was some of the best Justice League comics out there? And those of us who didn't like it are just jumping on a trend of hating books from the 90s? Well, here's the thing. I didn't hate it. I was just confused by it a number of times. I felt it unnecessary. But I would love to hear somebody come at me. Tell me why you liked it. Because I can see stuff in it. I can see things in it that are are likable. Again, it, I just, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It confused me. And with that, I let you go. My name is Steven. I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. I'm out. See you later. Bye. Just Another Fanboy is a presentation of the Stephen or Else podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stephenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash stephenrorr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show about whatever crawls its way into my tiny little mind just moments before I tap record. You can find me on the World Wide Web at stephenorelse.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at stephenorelse. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend. Just Another Fanboy is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find that over at comicspodcasts.com. All links will be in the show notes. Good job.